0: Hello, and welcome to the Find Creative Expression podcast, conversations about art and creativity. I'm your host, Sarah Crawford, author, playwright, musician, basically obsessed with art. You can find more information at findcreativeexpression.com. Let's get rolling. Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 24 of the Find Creative Expression podcast. Coming up, I have an interview with playwright, actor, director, screenwriter, and founder of Essential Theatre, Peter Hardy. As you can tell, Peter has a seriously impressive resume, and he's an incredibly creative and prolific artist, so I'm really excited to talk to him. So you may have noticed that I have a new intro. Uh, The music in that and then the little, you know, Bells music that I was using for the intro. um, Both of those are from the Pocket the Moon album. Pocket the Moon was a band that I was in with one other person, Jeff Goodwin. And the reason I bring it up is that this month, the Pocket the Moon album is officially 10 years old. So much stuff has happened in my life since then that it literally feels like a different person. Like when I hear those songs, it feels like someone else wrote them. And, you know, when I play them, it feels like I'm playing a cover. But that album is still one of my proudest artistic accomplishments. If you haven't heard it, it's streaming on Bandcamp and Spotify and I think YouTube. I will link to it on the website findcreativeexpression.com if you want to check it out. As far as what's going on with me I've mainly just been adjusting to my new day job with AT&T recently and you know it's been going pretty well. I've actually kept up going to the gym. I've been working on my hashtag own voices novel. (laughs) That's that's what I'm going to call it now because, um, you know, I was calling it the untitled ataxia novel, but I really don't think a lot of people know what ataxia is. You know, it's weird because I it's a genetic degenerative thing. So I don't really think of myself as being disabled right now, but my balance really sucks and I stumble around a lot and people think I'm drunk like all the time. Which used to kind of embarrass me but now I'm kind of just like whatever. Like I don't really care. So it's weird for me to say that I'm working on a hashtag own voices novel because I'm not a person of color or or, you know, in the LGBTQ community, but I think disabled stories are also stories that need to be told, even if it's not a very common disability, or it's one that gets worse with time. So I'm still working on my play about the meditation retreat, so probably over the next at least three or four months, I won't have much of an update. With that, except, oh, I'm still working on my novel and my play. (laughs) In other news, so Candace Robinson, who I interviewed in the last episode, convinced me to start a TikTok. So I kind of thought it was just going to be 16 year olds dancing, but actually, there's a lot of fun stuff on TikTok. There's like a lot of funny cat videos. There are a lot of cool authors and book lovers making videos about writing and books. There's people talking about music. And there's really just some funny stuff on there. I will say it's made my attention span way shorter because you just scroll through and each video is a minute or less. And if you hit the back button, it plays another video. You have to hit the back button twice to even get out of the app. So, you know, I got I to say, ever since I decided that it was just okay for me to have a day job and I gave up on the idea of being an indie author, I really don't obsess over likes and followers and shares and interactions with my content. You know, when you're really trying to sell books, it's all about, oh, I got to build a following and I got to post on Instagram and I got to post on Twitter. Twitter and I got to post this and I got to post that. And then, you know, when your content doesn't go as far as you think it should, you get really discouraged. But now I really don't care. I just create content when I want to for the platforms I want. And if people want to interact with it, that's great. But if they don't, That's fine too. So as far as recommendations go, I just finished listening to Brandi Carlisle's memoir, Broken Horses, on audiobook, and it was really good. You know, I'd never really heard much of her music before except, you know, the story, which is the song that Everyone knows, but I saw my friend Brian Perry post about the book and he gave it such a glowing recommendation that I had to check it out. And I'm really glad that I did. The audiobook was especially cool because at the end of every chapter she plays a song and it's usually like a song that she's been talking about in the chapter. So it kind of reminded me of VH1 storytellers. Remember when they used to do that? And the artist would tell a story about the song before they played it. Anyway, so I really enjoyed that. And I have been listening to her latest album, which is called By the Way I Forgive You, since I finished the book. And, you know, I'm really enjoying it. I'm also super into this book I'm reading on ebook called Spirit Legacy by E.E. E. Holmes. It's kind of hard to say. E. E. <laughs> It's a young adult paranormal book, but it's really more of a ghost story. And it's just it seems to be really refreshing and not predictable. You know, it's rare these days that I will read a book one in a trilogy and continue on with it with the other two books. But I definitely plan to continue on with this one. And I'm still obsessing over Blue Weekend, the album by Wolf Alice. So, it's, it's so good, you guys. If you haven't heard it, you should definitely check it out. All right, that's enough of my yammering. Let's go ahead and get into the interview. Hey everyone, I am here with Peter Hardy. Peter Hardy has been working as an actor, director, and writer based in Atlanta for over 30 years. His play, Mysterious Connections, was chosen for development at the Eugene O'Neill Center's National Playwrights Conference. And he has won playwriting awards from the Festival of Southern Theater at EdRise Magazine and the New Southern Theater Festival. He has had several short stories published and is the founding artistic director of The Essential Theater, a company dedicated to supporting and producing new works by Georgia Playwrights. Welcome, Put Peter. You on all counts. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, you You have such a impressive resume. It's like it's
1: crazy. Like you've just done so much stuff. I love it. Well, I'll, I'll just, uh, you know, uh, I'll give a, a, a hint to those, the, the key to uh, the secret to gathering uh, uh, an impressive resume is to get older uh, <laughs> because if you just sort of keep doing things then it begins to say, wow, he's done a lot. Uh, yeah.
0: That, I guess that's true. Time. So, so how did you get into theater and playwriting?
1: Well, uh, I grew up uh, uh, with theater. My parents are both uh, theater people. They, uh, they taught uh, in university theater and worked professionally. My father, mostly as a director uh, and actor, he was also a published novelist. And my mother, uh, as an actress, uh, uh, and a producer, she ran a, uh, a theater company in North Carolina for a number of years back in the 1970s. Uh, so, oh, cool. uh, 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 and my sisters had no- novels and short stories published. So uh, that's that's pretty much what I grew up with.
0: Cool. Yes, I, yeah, so I was I, like I, uh, very much in the family.
1: <laughs> yes. And, and actually, the way I rebelled against my family was to stop doing theater for a while. <laughs> um in my first few years in college I didn't do any theater and I became an English major and then a history major and I was just trying to do other things and I eventually realized that I wasn't good at anything else so uh uh, uh so, I, so I went did you to, uh, did you
0: start out as an actor and then or and then write or did you start out as a writer or did you start out as kind of all three
1: well, I, I, i'm when I was uh, you know a teenager I acted I um, did that in high school and and some and other you know uh uh professional or semi-professional circumstances uh, uh and then once I got back into it in college although I was interested in directing early on I did a little bit of directing but uh, uh it took a little while for that to happen and i and I did a little bit of playwriting but that that it took a while for that to develop i i that had written short stories when I was younger and I started writing plays uh later but it it uh so the, they all sort of came along they all fed on each other uh, right, right. uh but there were just more opportunities just to act you know
0: right so so how has your experience as an actor and a director helped your writing or vice versa
1: well, uh, 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 very much so, um, uh, uh, of course, all creative work, you know, sort of your life, everything feeds off everything else in your life. But um, right. I found that particularly with playwriting, probably I learned more about playwriting from an acting class I took when I was in grad school or mm-hmm. directing, for that matter. I had a very good acting teacher named Manuel Duque at Penn State University. And... Um, I was. It was a great class. I didn't do particularly well in the class. I I it. I remember feeling like before the year was over, everybody had a big breakthrough except for me. Um, um, but I continued to to learn from it uh, uh, even long after the cl- I was no longer in the class. And uh, but basically, as a a as a as a playwright, when I'm writing something, I I kind of feel everything out as an actor. If I can't find a sort of a through line and a connection uh, of energy and purpose and mm-hmm. uh, what I'm writing that I could, that w- would work for me as an actor, then I i am pretty sure that it's not, you know, I, I need to find something else uh, from a writing point of view. Uh,
0: right. So
1: I, I, so those, those kind of instincts that I developed as an actor apply to playwriting. I think I'm a better writer than I'm an actor, but there's that kind of just feeling it feeling your way through a role and feeling one moment to connect to the other and if i if i can't feel that on an acting point of view then something's wrong with the writing
0: yeah you know i think it's just about like storytelling and you know when you explore one aspect of storytelling like acting you know it it kind of shapes how you can tell stories and in other Mm -hmm. aspects you know
1: But I guess one thing with like acting as opposed to writing, you know, storytelling, um, I'm storytelling is certainly what you're doing, but storytelling can be kind of abstract and removed. Mm -hmm. But if you're within a story or trying to live within a story as an actor, it's all got to, it's not abstract. Uh, uh, It's got to be, you got to be connected to each moment on a visceral level. And so trying to, keep that uh, in mind when you're writing something I find is helpful. Otherwise it kind of becomes an idea that you're constructing.
0: Right, right. So, um, okay, you've written quite a few screenplays and I- I'm just gonna read a few here. Okay, so you have you Veil, have vale, which was the winner of the best short mystery script at the Silk Road Film Awards. Site Specific, which won Best Short Horror Screenplay at the Southern Horror Film Festival, and Turn Paper, which won Best Short Screenplay at Bridge Fest. Now, that's just like naming a few. And, you know, the the amount of awards and selections that your screenplays have is amazing. And, I mean, if I were to read all of them, that would probably just take up the whole interview. (laughs) So I wanted to ask you a few questions about your screenwriting um so how did you get into screenwriting
1: well uh uh, okay this is a bit of a story and i'll try not to get it have to be too long but i've always loved movies i was interested in films like as early as you know when i was 12 13 and and of course i was oriented to theater just because my parents worked in it but when i was young and i'm talking about like the 1970s and 1980s because i'm that old (laughs) uh the um filmmaking equipment uh, and technology was ex- much more inaccessible to the average person. It was much more expensive. It was more, more cumbersome, and so I, I, in fact, like in the early 1980s, I wrote my first short screenplay, uh, which is a little ghost story um, called Term Paper. And it was a fairly simple story. And I knew someone who had access to a videotape equipment, a video camera and videotape editing equipment. And so I got a couple of friends together and we shot it in someone's apartment in the course of one day Um, and then spent weeks editing it together. And this was like a very cumbersome process back then. Um, And it was rough, but I was pleased with the results. And then about a year later, I met this and this was on a video cassette. That's what I had it on. Uh, and I managed to erase it. And I didn't. The fellow I had made it with, I didn't know how to get a hold of him anymore. So it was lost. Oh um, no. And it wasn't because of that that I decided. To, but I just, I, I never tried to write for film again. I, I just felt like, well, if I wrote a screenplay, what would I do with it? I don't know anyone who could make it. I don't want to move to Los Angeles and try to become a, you know, screenwriter for the movies. So I concentrated on theater, which was more accessible to me. And, and it was like well, if I write a play, I can always put it on myself, which I've done on various occasions. Um, And so decades went by and people would say, why do you write screenplay? And I'd go, no, 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 no. Uh, And then I finally started thinking, well, all right, maybe I'll give that a try. And so a few years ago, I started working on a feature length screenplay that was kind of a Hitchcock inspired mystery called Nocturnal, and I worked on that for a few years while I was working also on a play. And then I got, found myself getting a couple of ideas for short screenplays. And I decided, one of them was Veil, and I decided to go ahead and write those out. And I bought a book, which tells you what the screenwriting format is.
0: Mm-hmm. Some people
1: get software equipment to do that, but I just bought a book which was cheaper and you know, figured it out. Um, <laughs> You know, I, I liked it. But I said, well, I, I don't know what I'm going to do with these. And a friend of mine, uh, Yolanda Asher, who's an actress, said, oh, well, you know you can submit screenplays to film festivals. And I said, well, you can just submit a screenplay. And she said, yeah. Uh, and so I found out and there's a, a program called Film Freeway, which you subscribe to, mm-hmm. uh, but it will t- tell you all the film festivals there are that you can submit to and what, you know, what the details about them are and um there's it seems like thousands of film these film festivals around the the world and they all cost money to submit to some are more expensive than others and i stuck to the ones that were less expensive mm-hmm. and so i ended up with six short screenplays oh including term paper which i rewrote i recreated it so i had six short screenplays that i started submitting to festivals oh also side note on after i had rewritten term paper 40 years after you know I lost the the original version of it I came across the guy I had made it with on Facebook I sent him a message said by any chance do you remember his name was Lev Sherman by any (laughs) chance do you remember this do you have a copy of it possibly and he said I think I do and a few days later he sent me a link to my lost film which I had (laughs) not seen in 40 years wow um, which felt very symbolic to me
0: How much different was it from the new version that you
1: rewrote? Well, it wasn't that different, but I was pleased to see that in recreating it from memory, I think I had improved it. I just tightened it up. Right, so, and the 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 original video to was very rough it's not something i would like show people with a whole lot of you know wow look at this isn't this great but you know it was it was a first effort uh uh and uh it was i was very glad to have it back again and having it kind of returned to me after 40 years of saying mm-hmm. of it being lost and not writing it for the screen at all and I'm now writing for screen again. And this film returns to me all felt kind of magical and, and symbolic to me. So. Yeah. And, and so I with the the, the film festivals um, uh, that I submit screenplays, I've gotten a lot of response there. You know, they, they either select them. They don't always select them, but, you know, you're selected for the festival. And then maybe you get a nomination or a finalist designation or an award. And. I've gotten a lot of those, as you pointed out, and it's very nice and very encouraging, but, you know, they don't give you any money and no one so far has said, Oh, we want to make this into a film. So it's, it's kind of like getting a really nice recommendation.
0: Right. Right.
1: Uh, but with short films and I'm, you know, I've been sort of trying to find if I could find anybody who was like looking for screenplays to make short films out of, and I haven't had any luck with that.
0: Uh, mm-hmm.
1: And so I'm now thinking about, because the, equipment, the filmmaking equipment is much more accessible now and much less expensive um, that I'm going to try and see about getting some equipment and making my own films, which is going to be a whole new learning thing. You know? Oh,
0: that's, that's, that's really cool. Um, hey,
1: well, it's, I'm, I'm kind of daunted by it, but I'm also excited by it. So we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens with that. Yeah.
0: I, there, I mean, I think there are a lot of uh, kind of indie filmmakers in Atlanta doing interesting things. So yeah. Um, yeah, I definitely would be interested to see you know your film.
1: Well, I think and what happens um, is that, it's, it's, from what I understand, if you make a short film, it still costs you some money. I mean, I, I and I have to, I'll, I have yet to find out just how much it can cost, uh, but it still costs some money. And chances are you're not going to make any money. From right,
0: it. Uh, right.
1: so most people who are making short films are making their own films they're not looking for someone else to write something for them that, at least that's kind of the impression I've been getting right. Um, so it's something you do more for the the artistic you know satisfaction and interest and and maybe it'll lead you to something else you know uh, but it's 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 an investment it's something you have to be willing to put some time and, and expense into. Yeah, Uh, just for the artistic joy of it.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. So if when you have a new idea, like how do you decide if it would be better as a play or a screenplay?
1: Well, I I don't have a firm answer for that. It kind of comes down to what it feels like as an idea develops it, does this feel like a film does the idea of making it as a film interest me or does the idea of doing it as a play or a short story or something interest me more um and it's you know it has to do with somewhat to do with time i mean if you have like long scenes full of dialogue that's probably more of a play than a film
0: right. but not
1: necessarily you know and uh, uh, if you have lots and lots of short little scenes that are, take place in a bunch of different locations, that's probably more like a film than a play, but mm-hmm. not necessarily. And uh, I've I've always been interested in um, plays that have cinematic qualities to them, mm-hmm. or movies that have theatrical qualities to them. Right. Uh, uh, and I, I think that's those are real interesting uh, mixes. So uh, as I say, there's no no hard and fast rules, but uh, you know, if you're working on a story, I mean, just for people of whatever is an advice or whatever to anybody um, kind of comes down to what you feel like, what you find yourself wanting it to be.
0: Right. Right. So have you ever like started a play or a short story or a screenplay even, and then realized like a few pages in that you should actually be writing it as you know, a different, in a different medium?
1: Well, maybe not that, but there are ideas that I've never really uh, gotten, but so far with, and I keep not being able to decide mm-hmm. what they should be. But they also are kind of, they seem kind of stalled, anyway. I mean, I have a few things like that. I think if I, if I, if the stories started unfolding before me in my mind more, probably what medium they should be in would probably become clearer. Right. Uh, but it's, um, I guess, yeah, I don't, I don't think that's, uh, uh, I don't think I've had to switch horses in midstream or whatever. Uh, right,
0: right. So I've I've noticed a lot of your work tends to deal with, you know, discovering the unseen or peeling back layers to reveal the truth. You have like a lot of mysterious characters who turn out to be different than, you know, you'd expect as the story unfolds. So what is it that draws you to these types of characters and and stories?
1: Well, uh, I I thought about that because I saw these questions earlier and and there's like a short answer and a longer answer. The short answer is that uh, I guess I'm just kind of naturally drawn to intriguing and mysterious and sort of spooky ideas and material. And uh, I guess I find life kind of spooky and mysterious. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, as I get older, I'm more comfortable with that. It doesn't distress me i'm just sort of intrigued by it but uh uh but i think that um that the, the longer version is that uh i think a lot of plays in particular a lot of what almost any play is about is the revelation of character i think right Ch- plays don't tend to have plots so much as much as maybe a movie or a, a novel does mm-hmm. uh, i mean they can but they tend to be more about we see more of these characters, or we think we know who this character is, and then we find out that they're different than we thought. That's the way a lot of plays work, right. um, And there's elements of that, and um, you know, can be elements of that certainly in a novel or in a movie. But a movie can be, you know, just like people running and jumping and chasing and fighting, and you know, uh, and occasionally having a conversation. Uh, yeah. uh, but uh, a play is much more likely going to be about finding out about people. And, and I think one of the reasons that that's so prevalent in storytelling, particularly on the stage, but in, in other mediums as well, is that, um, and actually, I mean, most recent full length play that I finished, which I finished about a year ago called the other part of the picture, a lot of that, what that plays is about is this idea, which is that in life, we find out a certain number of things about other people or about a place or a, you know, a town or right. anything, you know. But we only get so much information just because there's only so much that you can know. Yeah. Um, and we take the information that is given to us, which is sort of like the exposition that a writer decides to give a reader. Mm-hmm. We take the information that it's given us and we kind of come up with a story about it. And that's what we call understanding something is making up a story about it. Right. I mean, I, you know, met you a number of years ago. You were a playwright. I, you know, uh, my company did a reading of one of your plays. I saw you perform as a singer-songwriter. I bought your CD, which is a nice CD. I recommend it to people. <laughs> Thank um, you. And we've talked a few times and had communications on Facebook. And so there's a certain number of things that I know about you, but I only know so much, you know. And But I sort of have a story in my head about who Sarah Crawford is. Mm-hmm. You know? And other people may have a very different uh, uh, story.
0: Well, yeah, uh, and then it's uh, interesting if you think about you know social media and yeah, yeah. The, the stories that you know we all put together, but it, we're we're only seeing like the highlights of yeah. you know people's lives. A so
1: f- a few brushstrokes.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's definitely interesting.
1: And, and so um, uh, with uh, the, so one of the reasons that I think storytelling. Uh, and the consumption of stories is such an important part of who we are as human beings, because it's kind of a crystallization or a formalized version of the process that we all use to engage with the world. We take stuff in and we make up stories about what we take in. And so when you're writing a play or whatever, that's kind of what you're doing. And so I I found that I tend to, to write about that uh just that how that happens and like you know that there's someone we we say who is that person they're kind of mysterious Mm -hmm. and then we find out more or we think oh they're they're kind of ordinary but then we find out wow they're really a lot more mysterious than i thought they were and i kind of think that's what life is like
0: yeah yeah i think you know i think we only really understand things through stories yeah so The Essential Theatre has had an annual play festival featuring the work of Georgia playwrights since 1999, so you have really done a lot when it comes to bringing work by Georgia playwrights to the Atlanta theater community, which I think everyone at Atlanta theater really appreciates. So what was the experience of starting the Essential Theatre like?
1: Well, it was kind of, you know, I I, I somewhat stumbled into it. Uh, uh, I mean, I came to Atlanta. I moved here in 1986. I got uh, uh, some acting jobs pretty early on, uh, and I wanted to direct my own projects. Um, um, and so I would occasionally I mean, right, like within a year of having moved here, I put together the very first essential theater production, which was just a couple of one acts that we did for a weekend yeah, you know, somewhere. And then I would occasionally get people together and do another production here and there. And it was like maybe after 12 years of that, that I got the idea of doing a festival, which was really, I did that in order to have it make more of an impact and get more attention than doing a single production. Because when you do a single production of a play by a company that no one's really heard of and you're performing in a different space every time. Yeah. It's very easy for that production to just kind of fall through the cracks and doesn't get reviewed, hardly anyone hears about it. And, you know, but I said, well, if we do, and I was also, I tended to be interested in plays that were not very well known. Um, uh, they may have been published plays, but they weren't the plays that everyone else was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, in uh, I got the idea that, well, if instead of doing one play that no one's heard of let's do three plays that no one's heard of um <laughs> uh and uh and maybe that'll just like draw more attention to us and that worked the fir- that for that first year 1999 we did three plays that were not well known and um um uh they got a you know we got a feature article about us in creative loafing mm-hmm. um and so with that first festival and so we we would do three plays in repertory, um, and uh, Uh, I got the idea of, well, and one of the plays will be by a Georgia writer, by a local writer. Um, And I did that, you know, because I'm a playwright myself and I wanted to, you know, support local writers, but it was also kind of, it, it was frankly a somewhat calculated move on my part. I said, well, this will just give us some local interest you know mm-hmm. some some home team support you know um, i mean if you produce a play by a playwright if nothing else their friends and family will come you know right um and um and so we and after a couple of years of doing that uh uh we started the essential theater playwriting award which is a competition uh uh which is the old, still all these years later the only playwriting competition of its kind uh that is only for georgia playwrights and the Winning uh, writer or writers gets cash prize in a full production, um, and like from their very first year, we had a cash prize in a full production. Mm-hmm. And our very first contest winner was an eighteen-year-old young woman named Lauren Gunderson, who's now the most produced playwright in America. Oh wow! Um, um, and um, uh, uh, so, for quite a number of years, we did three plays in repertory and one of them, sometimes two, but one of them was always a play by a Georgia writer. Um, and as time went by, the new Georgia plays were more and more what we were getting to be known for. I mean, there were people who thought that's all we did, even when that wasn't the case. Right. Um, and uh, we also began to just get more submissions and more strong submissions than we had in the early days. Uh, one thing I think because we were just getting to be better known and more writers were hearing about us and were willing to trust us with their material right. um, but also i think the playwriting scene was just getting stronger uh, uh which was uh, it fostered and encouraged by groups like working title playwrights uh, the uh, atlanta playwriting organization um uh, mm-hmm. there was uh, just you know more good plays uh, were, were emerging and so uh in 2000 uh 12 i guess um we decided we would now do all new plays by George writers um and after a couple of years we switched from doing three plays in repertory to doing two plays in repertory for the festival simply because doing three plays in repertory just drove everybody crazy um uh, <laughs> and was was and meant we had fewer resources to spread around um right uh, so uh uh so the 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 thing of doing New Georgia Writers, uh, I'm like I say, it was what we were known for. It's what we got a lot of credit for. I think it helped us get uh, um, you know financial support from granting organizations. Uh, but it also became our, our mission. So uh, it was a it wasn't something that I set out to do. But uh, Maya Angelou says you find your path by walking it, and I kind of feel as though that's what we did. Yeah, uh, that
0: that makes a lot of sense. And and um, I'm
1: now you know I'm now uh uh, uh, real, uh proud of that. And also you know when you're doing because we're not producing year round and we're just doing a festival. So now we're basically of the plays that are submitted to us, and we we typically receive between like sixty and hundred submissions. It varies from year to year, uh, but we choose choose two plays to to give full productions of. To. Mm-hmm. And we just try to find what we think are the best plays. And in a way, that means that we don't have to think, okay, what does our audience want to see? What kinds of plays do we want to present? Or what kind of statement are we trying to make? we we, we kind of let the writers lead us.
0: Right.
1: Um, it's like this is what they're giving this, and this is what we what. We judge to be the best plays, and of course, that's ultimately a subjective decision. But uh, um, we try to go for quality rather than, oh, we this year we want to do a play that's about blank.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, although, you know, it's like as I say, the writers lead us. So if there's something that's really important going on in the world, chances are there'll be a play about it.
0: Right.
1: Uh, and with any luck, there'll be a good play uh, uh, about mm-hmm. it. Um, um, so uh that's that's how that has worked out for us and uh i'm uh yeah. pleased and grateful for how it's going
0: yeah i mean you guys have done some really great great works in the in the festival um so so what have been what has have been some of the most like memorable productions in the festivals throughout the years
1: I, I, I saw, I saw that question and I thought about it this afternoon and I really can't do that. I mean, we've produced in the festival since the first year we produced almost 60 plays. Oh, wow. And if I was going to choose the particular favorites of mine, I mean, just personally, there would probably be 20 to 25 of them. Um, (laughs) And then I was saying, well, gosh, he chose 20 to 25 plays, and he didn't choose that one that I worked on. And so I just, you know, um, uh, we've had many that I'm, that are real favorites, both, you know, world premieres and some of the plays that we've done by other writers that have already published and produced. Some of those were In our earlier years are still real favorites of mine but uh Mm -hmm. uh, we've and we've produced one or two of my own plays and uh anyway we so we've done a lot of things that i'm i feel very close to and uh, very special about
0: so so do you have any updates about the 2021 festival
1: 2020 was the first year since 1999 that we did not produce a festival for some reason i can't remember why but for some reason no theater was <laughs> happening that year um and uh, uh and we chose two plays for that festival we were making plans for called the outrage machine by daniel carter brown and the wishing place by uh, a beverly trader austin and we were not able to produce them and i hope that one day we can right. because they deserve to be uh, this year instead of we've been producing in the summer for years which works well for us and a lot of levels but you know two or three months ago we still weren't sure that it was really going to be a good idea Mm -hmm. to try and do live theater in august um uh so we said well why don't we aim for like october or november just for this year and so it looks like we've settled in uh to actually to perform in uh, November, we're only going to be able to, the festival's only going to be able to run three weeks this year instead of our usual five weeks, just because of venue availability and everything. Uh, and right. because everything's been so uncertain, it's been so hard to make plans, you know. Yeah. Although I, we're now feel reasonably confident that it'll it'll be safe and you know that people will feel comfortable coming out to see theater again so we're uh, we're gonna be running uh, at, 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 i think opening in early november we have two prize winners we've been giving two prize winners for the last few years we're doing uh, one play called calming the man uh by uh anthony lamar white that play was done, uh, a, a workshop of that was done at the Alliance Theater's Riser Artist Lab a couple of years ago.
0: Oh, okay. Um, uh,
1: it's a play, uh, it's about a, a, an African American man and his two college age sons. Uh, it's set in 1976, the year of the American Bicentennial, and it's a very painful play. The father in the play is, is filled with hurt from just a lifetime of dealing with racism and, and loss and a lot of hardships. And uh, uh, and his each of his sons in their way is trying to find a way to escape from this cycle of their father's rage and bitterness. Um, uh, it's a very I strong heard. play. It's very powerful. It's very influenced, I would say, by August Wilson, but that's a pretty good model to, you know, to be yeah. uh, uh, drawing on. <laughs> And then we're, uh, uh, the other play we're doing is called Raising the Dead by Aaron Considine. Um, So we're doing Calming the Man and Raising the Dead. Um, (laughs) And uh, uh, Raising the Dead is also in a way about people trying to escape from pain. It's a very different play. Uh, It's about two women, um, uh, women of a certain age, as they say, somewhere in like the 40s, 50s range um, Mm -hmm. in New Orleans. And they're both in their different ways, feel kind of trapped in invisibility and solitariness. No one, they feel like no one sees them and they don't have any contact with anyone. And they're trying to find a way to connect with each other and find some way to escape from the the pain that they feel. It's a a much more hopeful play um, than uh, Call Me the Man is. Erin Considine who wrote Raising the Dead um, is having a good year. Another play of hers called uh, Riding Bicycles in the Rain is getting its world premiere about a month or two before our production of her other play opens. Uh, uh, it's being done at a theater in Wyoming. So uh, we're very pleased for her for that.
0: That's really cool. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, no, I mean, I'm really excited to see both of those. Um, I'm I'm really excited to see any theater at this point, but. <laughs>
1: sure. Yes. <laughs> both we're hoping a lot really of people good. will feel that way. Yeah. <laughs>
0: so so what are you working on right now
1: well uh i i have a number of irons in the fire but the main thing i'm working on now uh is a screenplay version of my play sally and glenn at the palace which essential uh, theater did about oh 10 yay
0: years ago. i love that one
1: <laughs> thank you you know people said oh you should do a screenplay of And i was like no nah, no nah, it's a play it's a play and uh uh somebody a friend of mine gave me one suggestion that kind of opened the the door for me about how to do that. And so I'm, I'm hoping to have that finished, I don't know, in a month or two. And then I have other things that are, you know, ideas that are brewing. I wrote a few scenes of what might be a new play the other night, it sort of came to me quickly. I don't know what that plays about yet. Mm -hmm. Um, And I also some years ago, I worked for a number of years on a, a novel, a supernatural thriller called dreamland drive-in which i was very pleased with but then i i kind of put it aside because i was going to write something else and it's been quite a few years uh since i put it aside but i was about halfway through it and i feel like i should i need to go back and finish that
0: mm-hmm.
1: because i don't want the cliche of a half-finished novel right <laughs> you know to to add to my necklace of regrets <laughs>
0: awesome so so what books or tv shows movies music etc are you really into right now
1: well i you know i i i bounce around a lot uh i have a certain amount of attention deficit disorder or as an astrologer once told me i have no earth in my chart um uh so yeah i i'm i'm usually reading a bunch of books at a, a time i you know go from one to the other and you know uh uh different things, but I started reading a biography uh, of Mike Nichols, who was a director. Um, right. He was actually an improvisate, you know, in an improvisational comedy, he and a woman named Elaine May were a team, Mike Nichols, Elaine May, who kind of put improvisational comedy on the map. They were very successful in the 1950s and early sixties and kind of all improvisational comedy has come from them where it was started with them. And then he, left that and started directing for theater and then he started directing for films and but he led a very interesting life and i started reading uh his biography and that made me go back start watching uh the hbo adaptation of angels in america which he directed
0: Uh, oh yeah uh, yeah i i love that didn't he direct uh, the graduate
1: yeah
0: okay yeah Yeah. all right i just want to make sure i was thinking of the right uh, person
1: yeah, and and lots of bl- many other things you know uh the movie of who's afraid of Virginia wolf uh silkwood and working girl and uh, uh and he, he directed many many hit plays uh uh over decades uh, but just a really interesting fellow uh,
0: yeah that and, that sounds like an interesting read for sure
1: and uh and i you know i i usually watch uh the tcm program uh noir alley which shows all film noirs from the mostly from the 1940s, and I read crime fiction from that era sometimes, but like I said, I bounce around to a lot of different a lot of different things.
0: Yeah, yeah, well, that's, I mean, that's cool, you know, I, I tend to do that too, like, I feel like I'm always, like, listening to an audiobook and reading an ebook and reading a print book, like, yeah. <laughs> at the same time, you know.
1: <laughs> and, and I never, I hardly ever binge watch a TV show you know, I watch. I watch an episode, and it's like, okay, that's enough of that for a day. I'll watch something else now. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, I definitely have have binged my share of of shows, especially over the past year. But you know, I think we all have. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I have kind of a big question, and you kind of touched on this earlier, but you know, I, I ask everyone this on the podcast. So, why do you think art is important?
1: Well, uh, yeah, as I, you know, said earlier, I think uh, at least storytelling is, um, as I said, I think, you know, comes out of the way that we engage with the world. So I talked about that uh, a bit. But I guess, um, you know, because I'm inclined to the arts, um, I think it's important because I'm interested in it and I enjoy it. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, you know, it's hard for me to say why it's important for everyone and um, you know maybe it is or isn't as important for other people and then i you know i i draw sustenance and inspiration and uh illumination from it in a way that maybe some people do from sports or athletics which i don't or right or, or technology, you know, uh, or or raising a family or whatever. I mean, there's lots of things that people do, which are, I think, equally important. There are people who, you know, can gain all that, those same things from doing good work for the world. And that's very important too. So I, I there are things that I, I just think the world would be a poor place. And I think it's kind of evident, you know, when you have, right. when there's a society or periods of time in which there's not as much art it's it's not a pretty picture
0: right yeah i you know i think it's interesting i ask everyone that question and like how differently people respond to it so mm-hmm. yeah so um where can people find you and your work
1: well you know right now um i mean i'm most i'm writing things but there's nothing that's going to be produced anytime soon I, you know i have plays i'm sending them out Waiting here back, you know. I have screenplays. I'm trying to figure out how to make them myself, or I have a feature-length screenplay that I'm trying to figure out how to market that or find an agent for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the Essential Theater, you know, which I'm I'm not directing uh, something for the for the festival this year. I just didn't feel as though I was the right director for either of those two plays, so I'll be mm-hmm. producing it. But that's, you know, that's still something that I'm very much involved with, and that'll be happening in November, uh, uh, the, I think I know the dates, but I don't want to say it until they're formally set. Uh, right. uh, but as I say, you can go to uh, either the Essential Theater Facebook page or to www.essentialtheater.com to, to keep up uh, uh, with that, but that'll be happening. Uh, um, we are currently, you know, looking at plays to consider to do for uh, 2022. Uh, and the submission deadline for the following year will be April 23rd of, you know, the of 2022. So anyway,
0: so those go are
1: ahead. all things that are coming up, but I, I, I don't have anything that anybody can go see uh, <laughs> uh, uh, anytime soon. That's one of the things about being a writer for theater or film. It's uh, you do your, you know, you do the writing part and then it could be a while before something else happens
0: yeah yeah well you know and we're everybody's just kind of like getting back into the theater right now yeah. so it's yeah there's i feel like there's definitely it's definitely gonna be probably a while before a lot of things happen because i feel like a lot of people have you know catching up to do and probably shows they were gonna do last year and you know yeah Okay. Well, yeah. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. That that was great. That was was really a lot of fun.
1: Thank you. Yeah. I enjoyed it too.
0: I really enjoyed talking to Peter and I hope you found it helpful as well. Coming up in the next episode, I'm going to be chatting with writer Aaron Huck. Aaron is another writer I met in writing courses with Carrie Jones, and he's really talented. So I'm excited to talk to them. Aaron uses both he and they pronouns. So tune in for that. Isn't it great how we still say tune in, even though that doesn't really apply to podcasts? So click play on Spotify for that episode. Make sure you download that one. Connect your phone to your Bluetooth speaker for that episode. (laughs) Anyway, thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you in the next one. Thanks for listening to the Find Creative Expression podcast. Please leave the podcast a review on your favorite podcast platform so that other people can find us as well. Thanks so much for supporting the podcast, supporting indie artists, and I'll see you in two weeks for the next episode.